The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What a glorious day. Are you glad you're here? Amen. I am too, and I'm glad you're here. And we're going to turn Philippians chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to talk about restoring our joy this morning. Amen. You can't sit here with a long face this morning and say, I am filled with joy. Do y'all remember that when we were kids, if you probably grew up in church, if you had any kind of kids sing, you, you sing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> Not what? <laughs> There's Steve, you know, the one guy that... <laughs> Down in my heart's tail, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. You know, isn't that a great song, and we think that's a children's song, but as Christians, uh, we ought to sing about that sometimes. And I was thinking about what to preach on, and I was thinking about what we as a group of people need. And, and as I began to think about those things, I kind of came to the conclusion that we need our joy restored. We need what King David said. Over in Psalms chapter 51, 12, where he prayed to the Lord, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Folks, we are born again Christians. We're, we were lost. We were headed to hell. And Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice on the cross, made a way that we can go to heaven and we are to find joy in that. And a lot of times we look around at our circumstances and we lose the joy of our salvation. That's what David had done. He had lost the joy of his salvation and he prayed, Lord, restore to me that joy. I think probably most of you here realize that we, we don't lose our salvation. We can't lose our salvation. When that's taught in the Bible, and we've taught that here, and that's not a, an opinion. That's what the Scripture shows us. And, and I think also we may understand that we can lose our joy. And a lot of times we may confuse that, but we, we have been saved. The Bible teaches that God has us in His hand, and Jesus says, if my Father's got a hold of you, He's bigger than anybody. And nobody can take you away from my Father's hand. Not sin and not Satan, because God's got a hold of us. But we lose our joy sometimes, and any Christian that's feeling down or discouraged about anything ought to study Paul's letter to the Philippians. Because 16 times in those four brief chapters, he speaks of inner joy. He wanted the, the, the church at Philippi to understand, and there's, there's bickering, there's complaining, there's unhappiness in churches today, and not so much in this church, but uh, as Christians, there, that wasn't the intent. The intent for us as Christians that, that we would be filled with the joy of the Lord. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is what? That's my strength. That's how we go from day to day, and, and this joy that we're to have, it's, it probably uh, uh, is lost in churches, and that's probably where it's the most noticeable in churches. And we walk around among people, I remember singing a song that, that says, every day I pass them by, and I can see it in their eyes, empty people, filled with pain, headed who knows where. And, and for so many, they've lost the joy 
of their Lord. They've lost the joy of their salvation or they've never experienced that joy. So this morning, if you would, I want you to, to turn to Philippians chapter 1 if you have your Bibles and, and join with me in our uh, discussion this morning on joy and how that we can restore the joy of our salvation. And, and I want us to really realize where Paul is. As Paul is writing this letter... Uh, he has been imprisoned already for two years. And now he's in a Roman prison. And on his way to Rome, he was in a terrible shipwreck. He was bitten by poisonous vipers. He, uh, he was accused of being a, a god. Then he was accused of being a demon. And now he's in a Roman prison for we don't know how long. He's survived all of these things. And, and he writes this letter about joy. Boy, that seems like anything that, uh, any subject that Paul would say, I can't cover this right now because of my circumstances. But he begins to, to write this letter even in the face of execution. Any time, any day, Paul could be executed. He's before, or he's going to go before the Roman judges and, and the, 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 the Jewish judges are there. They're all wanting to kill him. And, and really, Rome is the only reason he's not already been killed. So he's facing all of these things. So it doesn't sound like this situation, Paul would, would be writing or it would lend itself to writing something about joy. But let's look at this letter and kind of see how Paul encouraged the church at Philippi to, to restore the joy that they once had. The first thing we see is Paul's greeting to them, and he greets them in joy. Now, a lot of times when we read a chapter, we may skip over those first couple of verses there because it's usually a greeting. But, but what is it about the people in Philippi that allowed Paul to be joyful? Look at it right there first. It says, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Paul greets the believers in Philippi not in any way as someone who was superior to them, but he says to me this to, to them, this is a letter from your fellow servant in the Lord. Do y'all mind speaking out loud this morning? No, everybody okay with that? I've had you do this before. Paul's writing to the saints, and the word saint doesn't mean that you're some kind of uh, hierarchy or anything. The, the word saint just simply means a, a fellow believer, and the word saint describes every believer. So I want everyone here today, if you're a born-again Christian, to say, I'm a saint. Did everybody say that? Say it again. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Now, if your wife is a born-again Christian, men, I want you to say, my wife is a saint. Let's hear it again. My wife's a saint. Now, wives. I did say it. I said it three times. If your husband is a born-again Christian, as far as you know, I want you to say, my husband is a saint. Say it again. <laughs> huh? Yeah. 
Ladies, you got to say it one time. My husband's a saint. If you have children who are born-again Christians, say, my children are saints. Y'all jumped in on that real good, see? You know what? That's what the Bible teaches. We're saints. If we're born-again Christians, and as Paul writes this letter here, he's writing to the saints at Philippi, to the born-again Christians at Philippi. Folks, when you leave here today, don't say, well, that doesn't apply to me. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're a saint. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what we need to understand. We're, we're a true believer in Jesus Christ, and, and that doesn't mean we're without sin. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean that we're some kind of, uh, of superpower. It simply means we're a follower of Jesus Christ, and He has selected us, and He has set us aside, and He's using us, and we are His saints today. And that's who Paul writes, and he greets them with that joy and that reminder to them. And this morning, that's why I ask you to to go ahead and join in with that part, to remind us all that we're saints. As far as Christ's concerned, as far as we're concerned, we're saints. Here's the second thing. Paul offers joyful thanks for their involvement in his life. Now, folks, I want you to think about us as a church. Paul gives them thanksgiving, and, and what was he thankful about, about the people at Philippi, and what made Paul be joyful when it came to them? And he, he lists some things. First of all, he was thankful that he had happy memories of the people there in Philippi. So when we're thinking about how to restore that joy, and here Paul is in prison, and, and as he's writing this letter, he's, I think, writing for the joy of the church at Philippi, but I think he's also sharing in them, hey, this is why I'm experiencing this joy. Because as I write, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. That's verse 3 in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until nine. Paul says that he has happy memories of his time with that church. Does this mean there wasn't any problems while he was there? Not at all. But what it does mean is, is when Paul speaks of this word fellowship, the, the church at Philippi had meant more to him than just a, a sense of camaraderie. And that word fellowship means more than that. It means more than just a, a group of people. When the Bible uses that word, it means to be caught up in a community created by God. So when he talks about this fellowship and we talk about this church, and we talk about the fellowship, we're talking about a community Caught up with God. You and I have a, a family gathering. If you have a this Christmas and Thanksgiving's just right around the corner. And I went to Walmart about two weeks ago and walked in. And that's the last time, incidentally, I've been to Walmart. I don't go a whole lot. But I went in the door and there's Christmas trees everywhere. Can y'all believe that? I mean, used to not get it till after Thanksgiving anyway, but I mean, here it is. It's already, uh, I mean, it's not even uh, halfway through October, and they've got Christmas decorations and Christmas trees and all of those things laid out, and and we're going to be having family and friends and gatherings. And, you know, when someone's not there, you miss them, don't you? 
I mean, all the rest of your family can be there, but that one person can be gone, and you say, you know, I, I just really miss that person. I, I wish they was here. I wish brother was here, or sister was here, or mom or dad was here. And, and we miss those folks. And, and when we think about what Paul is talking about, that's kind of the same thing is true in church. He says, I'm remembering you. I have these, these joyful memories of, of people in, in this church. And, and when I think about those things, it just brings me joy. You know, I feel the same way. I think probably many of you do too. If you're a teacher of a Sunday school class, I know you feel this way. When you're not here, I miss you. And that may sound silly, but it's so true. When I'm up here preaching, I'm looking around at different folks and, and I see an empty pew and I think, my dad's not here this morning. And I don't know where he's at. He partied too hard last night at Chiggerfield, I guess. I don't know. Did anybody see him on the dance floor? Uh, maybe I left before he got out there. But, but you know, I, I, I just not just because he's my dad, but when I look around and folks are missing, I think, well, I wish they was here this morning. Not, not that I have some great message for them, just I miss them being here. Even when we have visitors that come a couple of weeks, and then they don't show up, I think, boy, I miss them. And you know why I know some other people in the church do? Because on Wednesday nights when we pray for the church, people will say, hey, you remember that couple, so-and-so? I hadn't seen them in a few weeks. Why is that? Because we miss that community created by God. And, and when Paul thinks about... The joy. Folks, we need to be investing in each other's lives. You know, there's some good folks in this church. Did y'all know that? There's some good folks in this church that some of you don't even know that are here today. You know why I know that? Because you'll say, boy, I don't even know some of those folks that were there today. That's what we need to be doing. You know why we have fellowship? So we can sit down and visit and talk. You know why we fill up the, 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 the exit out here? So introduce yourself and get to know some folks. They're pretty good people. They're pretty funny people. Not peculiar funny, but funny funny. Uh, you know, there's some good folks. There's some peculiar ones too. I mean, not, probably none of them here today, but, but, but get to know folks. And you know what? When we, begin to, when we get to know folks and when we begin to invest some time and we learn about their family and about their children and what they do and where they go and, and all that, we begin to, to build up that joy of brothers and sisters in Christ. We only do that through being here and through interacting with another. Think just a moment about the church at Philippi. It was a church uh, like most churches of our day. There was a... a Vast makeup of people in this church. And, and not every church member had everything in common. Matter of fact, in this church, they had little in common. And we know that through reading about this church and who the Bible mentions. And we're not going to go look at all of these scriptures, but, but in this church, the, there are some names mentioned, and these people's uh, names are associated with Gentiles. And there was a local jailer and his family. Acts 16 talks about that in this church. And there was a slave girl who had been delivered from demon possession. She was in this church. That's also over in Acts chapter 16. There was a businesswoman named Lydia. She was also in this church according to Acts 16. Apparently there was, there was little worldly things to, to bind them together. There was not much outside of the church that bound them together. 
You know, you had anyone from a, from a jailer over here to a professional business lady here who deals in fine linen to this girl they found in the street corner somewhere in the gutter that had been delivered from the grasp of Satan. Those folks don't have a lot in common outside the church, do they? But as they come into the church, they had one important thing in common. They, they came together in involvement of the church, regardless of their wealth, regardless of their position, regardless of their education, regardless of their culture, regardless of their race. They came into this church and they fellowshiped together in the gospel. And as Paul wrote these things, he said, I'm thankful to remember all of you. And folks, when we as a church can remember one another and we can have joy within our hearts and joy as we remember one another. Secondly, he said, I'm thankful that, that he, he was thankful because he had an unshakable confidence in God. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very one thing, everybody hear this, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Paul's thinking about the church. He greets them as fellow servants. He greets them as saints. He says, and I had so much joy in my presence with you. And as I remember those things, it, it brings joy to me. And, and I have all this confidence in God that He began a good work in you and He's going to complete this work. If you look there in verse 6, those two words, you can circle them or underline them in your Bible. The words begin and the words complete. The one who started, the one who began a good work in your life is going to complete it. That ought to bring us joy. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to turn His back and we're going to be out there all along. He says, hey, I began a work in you and I'm going to complete that work. And here's what's really interesting. Do you remember what Jesus said from the cross? When He said, He used this word that says, it is finished as He was on the cross. And, and when, when we think about that word and, and that word that, that Paul uses here, that word complete is the same word that Jesus used on the cross. The last statement that Jesus used on the cross when he said this word, teleestai, which means it is completed, it is finished. I've, I've came to do the work that I came to do. That was Jesus on the cross. And now in, in Philippians 1.6, he uses those words, I'm going to come and I'm going I'm to complete the task until the very end, what I've begun in you. This Philippians 1.6, it's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I think along with Romans 8, 38 and 39 and, and John 10, 27 through 28, those, those scriptures teach the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints or once saved, always saved doctrine that, that once God has done something, it's finished. He's completed it. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but, but think about our salvation. Once God saves us, who saves us? God does. We don't save ourselves, do we? We simply come in obedience, and God saves us. It's God who originated it. It's God who carries it out. He carries it out to the end. It's His work. And God says, I'm going to complete what I've started in you. So when we read this Scripture, Paul says, Hey, I have every confidence in God. That what He's began and the work He's began in you, He's going to complete it even to the end. As, as, as humans, I think we have a, a problem with this word perseverance. Uh, because how many of you have, have started a project? Wives, don't just elbow your husbands. 
Okay, I've seen Denise down there going. How many of you have begun a project and you just never finished it? Or maybe you even had a thought. Hey, I want to do this. And you, and you started and, and, and for some reason it just goes away. Maybe you start it strong. Boy, you're going along, you're going along, and the next thing you know, you've just lost interest. Or maybe you've thought of it. Oh, this is a great idea. I'm going to go and I'm going to... I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make this look like this, or I'm going to, I'm going to build this, and it just never goes into motion. You, maybe you even go get plans and write them out or draw them out or draw a picture and, and say, this is what I'm going to do. We, we don't persevere. So for us, I think sometimes we, we don't really realize that what God is telling us is, hey, I'm going to persevere. I'm not going to get halfway and quit. I'm not going to burn out. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to, I'm going to complete the task until it's finished. And Paul looks at that and he finds confidence rooted in the character of God and realizing that what God has done, he's going to complete. Charles Wendall said this, joy, joy is a choice. It's a matter of attitude that stems from one's confidence in God. That he's at work and that he is full in full control, and that he is in the midst of whatever's happening, is happening, and will happen. The joy and the confidence we have in God, that's where we find it. We're confident that God is working through us, that God is working in us, and we can find joy in knowing that he'll complete it. Here's the application for us. Just as Paul witnessed that, how, what God was doing in his day, what did he do? He told the church about it. Folks, when you see someone and when you know people that you see that God has laid a foundation in their life, tell them that. Doesn't that bring them joy? Doesn't that bring you joy? When you see that, that God is doing a, a, a good work in someone's life, tell them that. It encourages them. It encourages each of us. Hey, I really appreciate you. I appreciate our Sunday school teachers. I, I appreciate the commitment you guys and girls hold in getting and preparing a lesson and coming here and being here each week and teaching. I appreciate the commitment that these folks that get up here and sing, they come weekly, they, uh, they practice weekly, they try to work their schedules when they can be here on Sunday. I appreciate those things. And folks, we need to let folks know that. Because in that, we find joy, and they find joy, and they find encouragement. Here's the third thing Paul talks about. He held a warm affection for his fellow believers. Listen to what it says. This is verse 7 and 8. Just as it is right for me to think of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in my defense and in the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace." For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know what, brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I carry you in my heart. But I, I just, I long for you because you are partakers with me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying you're partakers in the same grace. We're participating in the same ministry. And folks, you at East Delta Baptist Church, we're, we are partakers in the same ministry. And, and this morning, I want you to think about how do you involve yourself in the ministries of this church? There's many. 
there's many opportunities. There's, there's opportunities for coming and for you to reach out and be a part of the ministries, partakers of the grace of God. And, and this morning, are you, a, are you a, a fellow worker or are you a spectator this morning? Because Paul says, I remember you and you're, you're partakers with me. And even though I'm in chains and even though uh, I, I'm, I'm going away from you, I'm confident of this, that, that the gospel is being proclaimed and it's being carried on because you are fellow partakers in my ministry in the grace of God. So he held that warm affection within his heart. Folks, when we as Christians and, and brothers and sisters, when we, when we have that warm affection for one another, that's where we find the joy of our salvation. I want to ask you this, would you at least try it? Because sometimes I think we get the ideal of, that's not my style. Let me tell you, that's not my style. I mean, even to think about these things and, and, and to think of the word affection. How many men here do you want your wife to say, oh, you're such an affectionate guy. Oh, we're manly. We're John Wayne guys. We're not, we're not affectionate. Ty- but, but when you look back, you realize, hey, when someone's hurting, it, it hurts me. And, 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 and when someone has a problem, it, it really affects me, and I want to pray for them. That's the affection Paul's talking about. And, and folks, when we have that in our church, we find joy in our salvation. Here's the last thing this morning. Paul prays for them. It says in verses 9 through 11 that he prays for them. First, he prays that their love will grow. Look in verse 9. And I, this is what I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. As Paul's praying here, he's praying that, hey, as a church, I pray that your love would grow. I pray that your love would abound even more and more. Secondly, he prays that they will grow in their discernment. He prays that they'll grow in the knowledge and all discernment, that's verse 9, and that, thing, that you may approve the things which are excellent. You know, he prayed that their love will, will, overflow, uh, will overflow, and then he prays that, that it'll be channeled by knowledge, it'll be channeled by understanding, it'll be channeled by discernment. Now, here's something I want you to, to draw a distinction between here. Discernment is more than just the ability to discern between right and wrong. That's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. There's also ability to discern between what's best and what's better or what's better and what's best. The ability to approve the things which are excellent. That's what he says, I'm praying for you. That you'll, you'll have the ability to see the things which are excellent. Now let me, let me give you an illustration of that. In Philippians 4.8, there's kind of an application of that. It kind of helps us understand what Paul is praying for. He's saying as, as you pray for one another, as you're together with one another, I pray that you'd have the ability to distinguish what is better and what is best. And here's what he says, Brethren, whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, may you dwell or may you meditate upon those things. Paul's saying as a church, I pray that you'll be able to to discern what's best, and then meditate upon those things. What does our society tell us to do? They take what's worst, and that's what you see on the news. They take what's worst and build a two-hour radio program every day. And Paul's saying as a church, for us to find that joy of our salvation, 
I pray that you'd have discernment to choose what's best and then meditate on those things and use those things and keep those things within your mind and share those things with one another. Two more things and we'll be closed. i got about ten minutes. Third, he prays that their their characters will will mature. The second part of verse 10, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. He prays that their wisdom will result in, in their character, and that their character will be sincere. Now, I thought this was pretty neat. That word, without, you know what he says there? That you may be sincere and without offense. That was a word that means without wax. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. What does that mean? Well, I got to studying that, and in their day, they sold pottery. If they had a, a piece of pottery, uh, and it had a blemish in it, they would fill that pottery with wax, and they would polish it out. And, and when they would take that pottery, if you were buying it, you would hold it up to the light, and you would turn it, and if it had a waxy spot on it, you knew it had some blemishes in it. It, it would cover those blemishes, but the sunlight would, would reveal those blemishes. And, and Paul here, he's praying that they would be sincere and that they would be true to their sincerity. In other words, he didn't want that, that waxy covering. He didn't say you need to, to make sure everything looks good. He says, my prayer is that you'll be without wax, that you'll be sincere, that you'll be without offense. And then here's the final prayer. He prays that they will live fruitful lives. Verse 11. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God. The, the, the term here used, being filled, uh, it's, a, it's a perfect tense that means having been filled uh, and abiding still. So what he says is, he says, I'm praying that as you have been filled with the righteousness of God, you would abide in that. You ever thought about this? When we, probably as Christians, lose our joy the most is the farther we get away from God. You ever thought about that? You know, the farther we get away from the body of Christ, the farther we get away from God, the more that, that joy is gone. And Paul says, I'm praying that, that you would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, and by being filled that you would abide there. Now, most of us know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And we know this part. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, lest anyone might boast. It's a gift of God. But most of us are not familiar with the next part of that. Listen to what it says. It says, we, church, we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared in advance that we should do. Now, there's a lot of different translations, which God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. But that verse tells us this, we were created by God with a purpose through Jesus Christ. Paul says, that's my prayer for you. Sometimes when we serve the Lord, we, we may dread and say, boy, I, I just hate to get started in that. I, I'm so busy. You know the saying, if the devil can't make you mad, he'll make you busy. And, and how many times do we start serving the Lord and all of a sudden we find out, hey, that was, I had a ball. 
That, I, had, that, I found joy in serving the Lord. That's what we were created to do. And Paul says, for us to restore that joy, may we be serving how God has called us to serve. I want to close with this. This was written by Helen Malachi. I don't know who she is, but she says this. I want you to hear what she says. I was regretting the past, and I was fearing the future. And suddenly, my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it's hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it's hard, and I am not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in this moment, it's not hard, for I am here, and my name is I am. You know what? We have the Lord in our presence today. We have him in our church And his desire is that we would have the joy of our salvation. You know what? Joy is not some outward circumstance. Paul in prison, Paul in change, Paul facing death, he had an inner joy that all of those outward circumstances couldn't affect. Folks, for us to have the joy of our salvation, we need to know we have an inward joy that Jesus Christ has given us. He's began a work in us. He's going to complete a work in us. We have a, a family in this church, brothers and sisters in Christ, and in your presence and in our presence together, I pray that we'd find joy.